Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. We are super excited to announce the new Ops Analytica contactless auditing suite. Within the Ops Analytica platform, your auditor can be safe at home, protecting their health and also protecting the health of your restaurant team. They can be working uh, with your general manager to collaboratively audit the restaurant. They'll be talking, they'll be chatting, they'll be taking photos, they'll be coaching, and they will be creating action plan tasks for that general manager, and they will be doing it remotely. But because they are doing it remotely, you will be able to increase the audit cadence for your restaurants, and your auditors will be able to do more audits per week because they will not be wasting time and money behind the windshield. So if you want to learn more about contactless auditing and how it can transform your business and can save you money, please go to opsanalytica.com and check out contactless auditing. Hey there, Order Up Show podcast listeners. It's your host, Tommy, today, and we are super excited to welcome Alex Curley, Curley excuse me, to the podcast. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. So, Alex, let me give you the lowdown here about the show. So, the Order Up show, it's one of the most hardcore, hard-hitting news restaurant podcasts in the world. <laughs> I'm lying. Uh, what we do is we just ask everybody the same five questions, and then we have a really fun conversation. So, are you, are you ready for that? I am ready to rock, sir. Okay, cool. So, Alex, question number one, man. Explain what you do today and then take us through your career progression from your first job in the industry to where you are today. All right. So I'm uh, I'm not a huge title guy, but for the sake of the show, I'll, I'll spell it out. So I work as the um, chief operation officers for Southern Proper Hot. I just messed up and that's where I used to work. Look at that. I've been on for two seconds. You know, I'm used to talking to guests. I'm not used to talking to a microphone. So uh, I work as the, the COO for Palacios Murphy, which is a hospitality group that's based out of Houston, Texas. And uh, cool. currently we have a three uh, uh, restaurants that are located right outside Texas and Round Top. We have a, 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 a restaurant that is located in downtown Houston as well as we're currently opening a hotel, uh, a bar lounge. Uh, we are uh, under construction on another restaurant in Houston and we're currently in talks for an LOI that's in Houston. And I misspoke, I said outside of Texas, but Round Top's actually a little bit outside of Houston. Uh, and so I handle operations for the group and then also manage any office entities that are related to operations. So that's marketing, finance, uh, sales and events, um, culinary, uh, and then true operations, which is you know um, area directors, director of operations, et cetera. Wow. It keeps me, keeps me busy. Yeah, no doubt. Keep, keep, I want to talk more about this hotel, but I want you, yeah, keep going. Sorry, don't want to. Yeah, no, no problem at all. So I started, um, in the restaurant industry uh, around 16. And um, I think to get a little bit of a perspective, we'll probably have to go farther back to how I grew up. So I'm a, a foreign service brat. So I was I was born and raised overseas, uh, moved to the United States when I was 16, 
um, to go to college. And most people that grow up in the United States Department of State kind of world, we always wind up in the DC area because it's the only place that we can find on a map because we always came back to DC to get our shots and get our orders and our vaccinations, et cetera. And so a lot of us just say, hey, let's go to DC. We know we know where it is. And 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 um, I was uh, I was in college and I actually went to school to be a therapist. So um, I was a psych major and, you know, after traveling the world, you know, I, I was in school, started as a math major and I was seeing how like a lot of the kids that grew up here reacted to some of the challenges in life. And I, I found that people overreacted and freaked out a lot. And I thought that, that some of it was the way they'd been raised and some of the globalist perspective I had. I said, you know what, I'm going to become an adolescent therapist. Let me use my experiences to help, you know, youth that are you know, having difficulties adjusting to the modern world or whatever. So I had this big, grandiose vision. And um, I just started working in, in school to have a little bit of money on the side. And, you know, my first job was in a fast food restaurant. Um, I was getting paid four twenty five an hour and I was answering phones. Uh, people would call and they'd say, hey, I want a, I want a pizza. And I'd be like, do you want pepperoni or cheese, you know? ring up the order on some weird little NCR thing that, you know, was in, in analog and green and, and black and, you know, put in orders and, 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 and that was it. And, you know, I had no intention of really pursuing a career in this. This was just a 16 year old kid who wanted to make a little bit of money on the side to pay for whatever random things I did on the weekend. And later on actually to help, you know, put myself through school. But at this point I wasn't making enough money to be able to do that with my $80 paycheck. Um, and so, you know, I learned, I think fairly quickly um, that there were a lot of things that attracted me to this, this newfound job that I had, you know, I, I found that, you know, it seemed that whatever I put into restaurant work, um, I got right back out. And it, it, I didn't feel that way with a lot of things in life, but I saw a direct, you know, reciprocation with however many hours I work and how hard I work and what I put into this, I get out. Maybe I get hours, maybe I get an extra tip, maybe I get something. And, and I loved that that purity in it because I saw people in these careers or these odd jobs and just, I just work and work and work and my paycheck's always the same and it's always the same over and over again. I thought this is really neat. The other thing was, is that the way I grew up, you know, I, I moved a lot every two to four years, um, uh, never had friends for more than two years. A lot of times we were moving, you know, from like, you know, West Africa to like Canberra, Australia. And I was used to a constantly changing environment and, and meeting new people all the time and, and kind of being this this chameleon that really enjoyed um, you know, the social aspect of growing up like that. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, to be a therapist. And I found in restaurants that no guest was the same, no day was the same, no shift was the same, no week was the same. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I think another thing that I learned is that I've always uh, loved to work and I've always worked too much. I know a lot of times people are like, oh, life, work, balance, and you know, blah, 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 and quality of life. It's I've never thought like that. It, it's really odd. Like I've always given it all to work. And that's not to say that, you know, oh, I, I don't, I mean, I do it for my family. That's the reason I do it. But the more that I work, the, you know, the better the family life or the better the family life, the more I work. So the two are kind of one for me. It's not like one or the other that I got to balance. They're just, they're all together. And um, I, I put a lot into it and I wanted to learn everything. Like I, I looked at restaurants and I, anything that I looked around and, and didn't know, I wanted to know. If there was a yellow line connecting the grill to the wall, 
I wanted to know what that was and, and how it came to be. If there were people coming in doing a site survey for an insurance company, I want to know who they were. You know, if we were looking at another site, I wanted to know what we were looking for and how to sign a lease, you know, what to do when the Ansel system went off. I mean, I just wanted to know it all. And I think that combination of loving to work, wanting to work and wanting to learn and being happy and making the sacrifice to learn is kind of what kickstarted, you know, my my growth, like personal and professionally in the industry. And, and knowing that, you know, this can go as far as want it to go. And, you know, of course, you know, on, on the, the guest side, I did, I mean, I, I, f I fell in love with it. I have a very unconditional approach to hospitality and, and, you know, I've always enjoyed doing it. And so what that did is it, it kind of started this, this slow kind of process where I was answering phones at 425 an hour and the manager's like, Hey, you're pretty good. Do you want to cook? Okay, sure. I'll cook. You know, and, and then they're like, hey, you're, you know, your station's clean. You're getting food out on time. You know the food really well. Do you want to serve? Yeah, sure, I'll serve. And then, you know, they're like, hey, well, you know how to serve. You know how to ring up orders. You know how to do this. Why don't you become a shift manager? You know, and I was like 17, you know, getting paid 840 an hour as a shift manager for this fast food restaurant. Um, then became an assistant manager. And when I was almost finished with school and I was thinking, okay, I've got to go to grad school you know, and then I've got to, I've got to, and I worked full time all through college, um, five years. And, you know, a, a restaurant group at the time offered me a position to be a manager. And they said, you know what, we, you're pretty good at this. It was a recruiter. And they said, you know, we've come into your restaurant and, and we've seen you, you know, have you ever considered just making a career out of this thing? And it was the first time that I really thought, okay, maybe, maybe I shift gears here. Maybe this therapist thing isn't for me. I love doing this. It's fun. You know, they offered me a, a good amount of money being a, a kid. I was very young when I finished school. I was 20. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought, you know, I could give this a shot. And then, you know, if I ever want to go to grad school, I want to come back and further my career, I could do that. But, you know, my friends were graduating and they were becoming like DJs, you know, and, and, and doing all this random side guy, you know, graduating, getting like $19,000 a year. And this was an opportunity for me to have my own insurance and have this and that. And, and so I, you know, I took a shot at it and, you know, became a manager. It was a, a corporate restaurant. And um, started my first management job. I was extremely young, you know, younger than most of the people that that I that I had to manage. I remember interviewing with the you know the area director and him saying, "What do you think is the biggest challenge?" And I said, "My age. I'm just a kid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm managing these people that are like twice my age. I mean, what am I going to do? You know." So and, and you know, became a manager and then an, an, an assistant general manager and then a general manager and. Um, my my career has kind of gone through some corporate restaurants and some mom and pop restaurants before you know landing kind of where i landed which I, you know everybody calls it differently but i call it a like a boutique restaurant group you know um where it's not a cheesecake factory and, and i worked at cheesecake factory but it's not a mom and pop with one restaurant group kind of in the middle in that you know fox restaurants when they were a little smaller in that you know Barcelona wine bar, which I worked at before they sold and resold, you know, some of these groups that are right on the cusp, because I always felt that you could, you could, you know, you could implement the systems, uh, but you weren't held hostage by them to the point that the hospitality suffered as a result and became very robotic, 
Um, and there is, I don't think, a, a right or wrong way, all of these work, but I think you find the environment that works best for you. And I always found that I worked best right in that environment. I love the systems. I love guests. I want to be genuine with them. And I felt that this kind of mid-range um, kind of boutique, not yet that big you know, of a group, was where I was most comfortable. And um, you know, I was working for Richard Sandoval Restaurants at the time as a general manager. And um, I had, I was working in, in a restaurant in DC on 14th Street, busy, you know, 5 million plus doing, doing, doing my thing. And, you know, I started helping some of the other um, GMs in the region, you know, with things, it could be sales, it could be labor. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm hiring a certain way, here's what helped. And, you know, the more that I did that, the more I found myself actually outside of my restaurant and, you know, just helping other people, you know, operations, human resources, ordering, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, Richard gave me an opportunity there to um, uh, move into multi-unit management. And um, I think that shift, you know, the first shift was like, hey, I'm an I'm a hourly person going to, you know, management, great. And I, I would say that the second big shift in my career came from when I, I left the four walls and, and moved into multi-unit management. Um, and uh, that was my, my first time. And multi-unit management is a very interesting journey because you know, there's, there's a lot of great training programs out there, but there's not a lot of great you know, multi-unit management training programs. And a lot of it, and I don't fault any organization for that, a lot of it is is trial by fire. You know, not every GM is a good multi-unit management and, and not every multi-unit manager was a good GM. Um, but what I found was that, um, you know, by working with other general managers, I found that I could get some of the same results that I could get out of my unit there. And, and, you know, um, that I, my growth um, was expedited in, in how successful I could help make those around me. And, you know, as I, as I went through my career, my motivations for working changed quite a bit. Um, you know, in the beginning it was, okay, cool, I like it, it's fun. And then at some point it became about the money. And then later on, maybe it became, okay, this is cool. I want to impress people or, 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 or I wanted this. So I, I had a lot of different objectives kind of throughout my career. And when I got into manage, multi-unit management, one of the things that started to change for me is I started to do it um, uh, more and more for the people around me. And, and, I, and I started to realize that my success ultimately is dictated by the success of those around me. And, you know, I, I've always been very guest centric and I always want what's best for the guest. Um, though I started, you know, really focusing on, you know, developing um, people around me and, and making their lives better, you know, inside restaurants and outside restaurants as a result of us working together. Um, and, and that was kind of this, this new journey that I embarked on. Um, and it was a similar path there. I was, you know, I was a multi-unit manager for Richard. I went on to join uh, Barcelona Wine Bar, which was a, a company based out of Norwalk, Connecticut, as an area director, and opened up, you know, four restaurants for them and their 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 and and their growth. Um, you know, Richard called me back. I went back <laughs> to Richard as a as a, as a vice president of operations. And, you know, this was my first chance at actually managing people other than, um, 
uh, area directors. So you know you're you're managing operators, but now you're managing starting to manage other divisions, you know, marketing and and some HR and some legal, et cetera. And, you know, at that time, Richard was a big, I mean, he had 45 restaurants, 20 concepts, six countries, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, um, uh, it was a, a fun, you know, journey and kind of putting together a, a lot of what I'd learned back on that scale and traveling quite a bit, which, you know, really went back a lot to my, to, to, uh, to my former life, you know, pre pre hospitality, um, and ultimately, you know, landed in in uh, had an opportunity once once again to grow. Um, you know, a lot of the movement throughout my career has always, well, I wouldn't say, you know, a lot of it, all of it, has been has been growth. You know, and the analogy I I like to characterize it is. You know, I, I've been all over overseas, like I lived, like I, I mentioned, and, you know, my parents were stationed in Taipei and Taiwan, and the traffic is like absolutely insane there. Like, you can't drive anywhere. It's just, it's absolute madness. And I remember talking to a local, and I said, how in the world, like, how do you, how do you go places here? This is crazy. And they said, you have to think about it like a river. And, mm -hmm. and the car is like the rock. And if, if you're flowing, you just flow around it. And, and it never stops. And that's true. You just kind of just flow, whether it's off the road, whether it's in a yard, whether it's whatever, I mean, it's <laughs> mad, just madness. And so I think my career was like that. Like I always, I was always flowing forward. And if, if a company or, or a group wasn't, or there wasn't an opportunity to keep growing there, I never paused, I never contemplated, I just kept kind of moving to where that where that door was open and never burned any bridges, never had any, you know, any bad relationships with past employers. But I just continued um, doing that. And and I had an opportunity to relocate. I'd been in the D.C. market for about 25 years and had the opportunity to move uh, to Atlanta, Georgia, which I'd worked for many years with with Sandoval and with Barcelona. Um, I'd worked in that area, but I'd never lived lived there. And as I talk to people that grow in hospitality, um, a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you do it? And, you know, how did you grow and, and, and this and that? And one of the things I say is when the opportunity is there, you have to take it. And you're going to find all kinds of reasons not to take it. There was a million reasons not to go to Atlanta. I'd been in D.C. for 25 years. My kids were in school. You know, my wife was pregnant at the time. Literally, like we, we owned a house. It's like any sane person would say, you're absolutely out of your mind. Why would you do that? You know, however, I think that's what holds a lot of people back. There, there's a lot of great opportunities. There's a lot of great positions out there. But people just get scared. And they're like, I, I don't want to do it. I, I can't take the chance. You know, why? You have your kids, you have your family. And once again, that's the reason I'm doing it, you know? And this was a neat opportunity. You know, I was I was able to be a, um, a COO at Southern Proper. And uh, one of the things that really excited me about this is, is now, you know, I, I, I got ready. To, I, I, I was able to deal with a lot more aspects of, organi of restaurant organizations. So we're talking HR, marketing sales, culinary, operations, learning and development, IT, you know, real estate, finance. So it just goes kind of on and on. And it, it was a really um, great experience. You know, they were a, a group that was growing, uh, was looking to get outside of Atlanta. You know, I was, I was from DC. We wanted to open in DC and we did open in DC. And um, <clears throat> 
it was a, a fantastic experience. And me, probably like anybody in the hospitality world, you know, <laughs> I think anybody that you talk to, their lives were changed somewhat because of COVID, you know, and, and that group had a significantly, we did have to reassess kind of our strategy based on post COVID. And uh, the good news is, is that where some areas were cutting back or adjusting or, you know, um, uh, shrinking or going in defense mode or whatever buzzwords you want to use, you know, adjusting to the new normal or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think what some people didn't realize was that that wasn't happening everywhere. And there were some places like Texas, for instance, where people were looking at this as an opportunity and saying, hey, we can we can grow in this environment and we can we can move forward and and we don't have to just throw in the towel here. And that was very much my my thoughts with all the madness that we've been through in the past couple of years was, yeah, this is a pain in the butt, you know, and this is this is pretty dramatic. And but but I'm going to try to do my best to make some good and help some people out of this because there's still employees and there's still guests that you know you know deserve an experience you know personally and professionally and that wound up it was a really unusual way that i found the group that i was with that i'm with now it, originally it was you know really through a very close friend of mine who um was an executive recruiter and just wanted me to to talk to this group not even as a a hey go work there but can you just can you talk to them and and i was speaking to them and they were talking about what their needs were and about their what their wants were and i realized that there was a lot of alignment you know between you know our views of hospitality our drive how we're navigating the the current environment etc and we aligned in a lot of ways and I, I told them i said hey you guys are great and i Think this is what you're going to need to grow and you know and i wasn't even talking so much about myself you know this is what i think you're going to need to get there and you know they say okay what about you <laughs> and so once again uh, the river kept flowing you know and and i found myself um here in in the great state of texas and like i said we're based in 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 out of houston and um i've been in texas uh less than a year i'm, I'm a new new resident here and we have been just having a, a really, really fun, exciting time, you know, taking a group that's been around forever. They've been around for 40 years, but for 38 of those years, we're run restaurant, you know, and sure. uh, the last, you know, magic really started happening in the last couple of years. And it's happening right now where we have, you know, more restaurants in construction or in an opening phase than we have on the ground. And that's just you know, kind of showing the explosive growth. And as I talked about with this post COVID madness, you know, been able to, uh, you know, reconnect with a lot of people that were displaced because of COVID. We have a lot of um, people on our team here from DC, from Atlanta, executive chefs, directors of operations, et cetera, that I was able to get jobs and basically fly them out here to be part of this. It's been great to connect with vendors that I've worked with in the past and, and farmers or whatever it may be. And, and just being able to offer, you know, people that might still be in parts of the country that are still suffering, you know, an opportunity to get do what we love again. And that's, you know, grow restaurants and, and, and serve guests. So that's a little bit of a nutshell 
nutshell of me, whether it's wandering around the streets of Taiwan or or to to Houston, Texas. Wow, that that's a lot to unpack. Well, so <laughs> and uh, really quickly. Um, so we both are from the DC area and we were actually chatting about that on email when we were going back and forth. I'm dying to know what was the first pizza place you worked at. Oh, oh man. Okay. So it, it's funny because the first pizza place that I worked at, I was answering the phone at the pizza hut in Reston, Virginia. Yep. So, so I, when I was in college, I lived in, in Reston. I went to school at Mason in Fairfax. And I was up the street and literally just walked into this pizza hut and said, like, it could have been anything. It could have been a bike shop and just said a little bit about myself. And, hey, I, I, I want a job. I want to do something. So it was funny because later on, I opened up the Barcelona and Reston Town Center. And, and so it's just so weird how, you know, that big, that big loop, you know. And then the first management job, and like I said, I'm not trying to throw a bunch of names out. It was Pizzeria Uno in Fair Oaks Mall, which is oh, no yeah. longer no longer there. But I think there's a cheesecake there or something now. But um, yeah, it's you know, 1996, I think. Wow, so before you know the rest of the town center exploded, etc. But what a great market and and what a great area. Are you still there now? No, I live in Colorado now, but I so rest in town center. So like. That part of Northern Virginia, for those of you who have never been there, is like so much, there's so much money there because everybody who works for the federal government lives in the suburbs around D.C. And obviously the federal government spends a lot of money. And like, I mean, you just drive around that beltway, or you drive up and down Route 7, and it's like every building is like the biggest company in the world. And that rest in town center is a gorgeous like outdoor, like restaurant, entertainment, office, living area. It's wonderful. I ran the, I was a manager at the PF Chang's in Tyson's too. So I was like five minutes away from there for a period of time in the early 2000s, like 2001. <laughs> so yeah. that, the great thing, you know, and the thing that I love about the restaurant industry is, is this, you know, like I'm sure we know the same people, you know, I knew yeah. the, the GM and the managers at the cheesecake that was there in the at the Galleria, you know, yep. and you know, I opened up um, in Fairfax Corner a California Pizza Kitchen, and it was right next to a PF Chang. So, you know, it, it, our I'm sure we probably have yeah. met each other. We've probably been in the yeah. same room together, you know. And and if we if we if we sat on you know and gotten a call, um, I'm sure we could tie it together. But I, I always felt that the D.C., Maryland, Virginia region was. Uh, one of the strongest restaurant markets in the country. And obviously, you know, I always said it was recession proof and certainly COVID is unprecedented and it's taken a hit, but, but just with the federal government there and the fact that the federal government does change periodically and brings in all of the affiliators, whether it's, you know, uh, the, the, the lobbyists or the support, the press, et cetera, then you have obviously a, a, some really strong universities there that draw a lot um, yeah. And then you also have all the tourists. And then it just seems like there's a new neighborhood every day. There's Shaw or there's H Street Northeast or now it's Columbia Heights or, you know, it just it never stops as a southwest waterfront. And, you know, yeah. this I think the current state of affairs there is unprecedented. So there's nothing really to compare it to. But what a great market um, and um, just a, a really great hospitality scene. Well, I and mean, when we were there and I, so I 
I lived in Colorado and I had moved back to DC because I was going to move to New York because I was a stand-up comic in those years and I was also in the industry. And so I had like moved to my parents' house like in early 2001 and I was just going to save money, save money, save money. And I was just going to wait tables at that PF Chang's for like a couple of months and then I was going to book it up to New York, but I just wanted to like conserve some cash. And then I worked two shifts and they made me a manager. And I was like, so then I stayed in, <laughs> but like, that was in 2001, pre, you know, 9-11, uh, like January of 2001. But like once, I mean, like we added like unprecedented, like I've never been in a restaurant that was able to do this, but we added like $80,000 a week in revenue to our, I mean, like over that year, um, because we just like were running. I mean, it was like, that was a time where P.F. Chang's on a Monday night had a 90 minute wait in Tyson's too. And yep. you're like, what the heck? I mean, it was just, it was neat to have the opportunity to work in one of the hot concepts at the right time, you know, because you you can show up at a restaurant chain and they'd be like, oh my gosh. And like in the eighties, TGI Fridays was on a three hour wait. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, it's 2020 and it's, it's open. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no line, but to actually work at a chain in the hot time was cool. Uh, you know. I think everybody should have the experience to do that. And I remember that time exactly because I was at Cheesecake. We used to trade f food with the people yeah. at Things, those banana spring rolls. And, you know, we'd be on yeah. like, you know, people would go on the wait and they'd go and watch a movie and come back. I remember being outside of a PF Chang's, those big horses. And I'm like looking at the yeah. line. I'm just like, wow, this is this is intense. But I think everybody should go through that at some point of their career, being at the right time, at the right place. And, and you know, seeing, I think, the operational excellence of, of some of those brands at that time, how to manage, you know, you know, 20 million in sales and, and, and do that consistently when, when you have that many locations. You know, I, I'm not that's not what I enjoy doing now. However, yeah, being able to not. go through that and being able to apply that to, to where you're at, I think is really invaluable. Well, and it's the war story, right? Like it's, you know, it makes you appreciate every aspect of everything when you've been through that kind of a thing where, yeah, it is just nonstop. The line is out the door, you know, it, it yeah, it is an amazing. And what's so funny is that I guarantee you, we have met each other because we were always trading food because you, you know, as everyone knows who works in a restaurant, I don't care how good that menu is you cannot eat that every single night for months at a time. And so we were always like, hey, what do you guys want? We'll bring it over. Just give us something, a burger, a turkey sandwich. We'll take it. Yeah, so, yeah that, that was awesome. Um, that's so funny that like, this is such a small world. And it's funny too, because we were talking about, you asked me if my first job was at a, uh, a what was it? A, a Jerry's Subs and Pizza. And it was at 14, like, just like you. I, I, my first job was I was like a grill cook at a Jerry Subs and Pizza in the Columbia Mall in Maryland. And like, I remember you say that 425, I literally was going through a box that my mom sent me and I found pay stubs with 425 an hour on there. That was the minimum wage back in the 80s, the mid 80s. God, isn't, isn't that amazing? Yeah, I remember working as a shift manager, you know, and, and I was 840 an hour and, and I was the highest paid. I was the highest paid yeah. and people were like, that's, that's crazy. You know, like, how can you, how can you make that? And I mean, we worked, this wasn't like a yeah. shift manager with a clipboard. I mean, you were everything, you were everything. Well, and yeah, I think everybody in the industry is really only a couple of degrees of, of separation. And as I've worked in groups that had, you know, with, with Richard Sandoval, we had a, a, our, an office that was in, in Rhino in Denver and, you know, yeah. 
um, obviously that, that area has just exploded. But now you see the Barcelona that's there and Rhino and you, you can't get away. You know, if, yeah. if the industry doesn't follow you, you follow it. And, you know, at any point in time in an airport or on this call or wherever, I think if we talk to anybody for 15 minutes in the industry, uh, there's going to be a, a lot of, of, of kind of cross paths. And, that, and that's what I think what's cool about it. And that's what makes it magical. Like, and I said this in a couple episodes ago too, but like for those of you who maybe if you're listening to this podcast and you're contemplating joining the industry, this is one of the few industries in the world. Uh, I, I, I would say other than you're some sort of crazy app developer um, or tech developer, but this is one of the few like regular industries in the world where you don't have to have a college degree to make a lot of money and be successful because truly to be successful in this business, yes, you have to know the numbers and all that other stuff, but truly what you have to be is a person who loves to manage people and is good at managing people because truly operations at all levels of this business is just getting the most out of people. And especially at the store level, it's always because those are the people that are like, you know, the least engaged, how do I get them to, to execute at such a high level, you know, and, and you can become, you can amass a fortune and it can be in fast food. It can be in these high end boutique restaurants. It doesn't matter. You know, you can amass a fortune and make a great life for yourself and, and, and really have an enjoyable life as well. If you get over the hours and whatnot, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, I was opening a restaurant. It was a Barcelona and, and Ironworks in Atlanta. And we were having a dinner and we were sitting around a round table. And it was, like I said, I'm not a big title guy, but a bunch of corporate execs, you know, with some cool letters in their titles. And, you know, one of them, you know, we played a game and they said, hey, what was your first job? And as we went around the table, everybody, everybody started as dishwashers and, and started yeah. as, as uh, et cetera. And, and I really support that statement is that, a lot of people do believe that. Oh, I've got to go to hospitality school. I've got to go. I, you know, I'm not going to discourage people from that. Though uh, the best, most successful operators and leaders, you know, of our industry are people that just had the passion, the drive, and the work ethic. Loved what they did and and worked their way up. And you know, hearing that, you know, the Jerry subs or or the dishwasher or the line cook, 16, 17, 18, that means more to me when talking to somebody than where they went to school or or what they studied. It it really does. Well, and it's interesting because I did go to so I went to hospitality school. So I went to military college because I wanted to be in the army in Philly. And then I was working in the kitchens there, just trying to earn money and whatnot. And then I ended up going to hospitality school and then I graduated and I had worked the whole time. So I had been cooking. I had run, uh, I was big in country clubs at the time. So like I had done a lot of those pool bars in the summertime where I would run the pool, like, you know, the pool snack bars and the 18 hole shed, whatever that stuff is. And then I got a job at River Bend in Great Falls at their country club that was my first job out of college and i had this degree and i'd also been working for years and yet i still didn't know anything you know, it was exactly <laughs> like you were like like well oh that's great that you have this degree but like when you actually get in the field in hospitality it is well you got to set up that table and how do you set up a buffet well, i had never set up yeah. a buffet before <laughs> so now i'm being taught by the busser you know well this is how we set up a buffet right and like so it was one of those things where like for the first month and a half i was just like terrified because i didn't actually know anything i mean i knew the big picture stuff like how to calculate food costs but that's not actually what i had to do i had to actually like manage a restaurant 
which was setting up the bar, making sure things were chopped, making sure we had, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, one of the good things, though, I will say about our industry, too, is that when you do get a hospitality degree, they do force you to do a lot of internships to try to get you into the real world because, you know, if not, you're going to get laughed out of wherever you go to work. So, (laughs) yes. Okay, moving on. Question number two. What is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Oh, wow. So I wish I could say it was one, but it is going to be several. So we are um, managing uh, several openings that are in different stages of the process. So we, we built a boutique hotel which is in Round Top, which I got excited at the beginning of the call and decided to say was outside of Texas, which a lot of people would be very upset at me for, <laughs> because it is very much Texas. It's about an hour outside of Houston, but beautiful, absolutely beautiful area. They call the Hamptons of Houston. Um, and we built a boutique hotel there, which is 14 rooms um, uh, with, on a beautiful land, landscaping area. They have the pool and it's, it's very picturesque. And um, that is, almost ready to go. We're, we're opening up reservations for friends and family right now. We will open it up to our email guests on the 10th. And then on the 15th, we'll open seven of the rooms. And then as we get into April, open the remainder. So we are almost uh, there. We're putting the, the final touches on it. Um, in addition, there's a bar and a lounge that's part of the same development. That hotel is actually built on a block, which we have a restaurant, and now we also have a bar, a lounge. So we're we're basically trying to design a resort destination where you can go for a variety of different experiences. And and that bar is called Il Cucolo, which means cuckoo in Italian, um, and it's a bar Mm -hmm. lounge. We've gotten through construction. We are there. Um, We're we're kind of doing a soft opening right, right now where we're doing some introductions to it. Um, though uh, we will be full on in in mid-March. We are um, waiting on permits for a restaurant um, in Houston. Um, That is also, you're going to be hearing Lulu's all throughout this car. It's our our second, all this call, uh, second Lulu's, which is uh, an Italian concept. And it's going to be in the River Oaks um, neighborhood of Houston near where um, uh, we have another restaurant that's called Armando's. And this um, uh, has been a really, really fun project for a lot of those reasons that I talked about earlier on the call, and that is, you know, bringing people together that have been displaced because of the COVID madness and getting them, you know, all working together again. So the architect on it was the architect that you know I've worked with at Barcelona and Southern Proper, and you know the chef is a chef that you work with a great guy from DC worked with Fabio Travacci there, and you know we brought kind of this collaboration of all this talent some local and then some from around that just happen to be on the market because they've been you know, displaced. Um, we're looking at a June 4th opening for that. Um, wow. If we can get permits uh, wrapped up, um, uh, really, really neat design, uh, great menu and just an exciting project. And then we're going back and forth with an LOI that's in Houston and in North Houston. And then at the same time, you know, we're keeping our eyes peeled for other opportunities um, in Houston and beyond. And I think that's probably the openings are, are probably the big thing on our plate. Um, I think because all of the other things that we are working on 
are based on those openings or growth. So I could say, hey, we're building an office team and we just brought in a marketing manager and we're looking for a sales manager um, and, and we're doing that because of the growth or, hey, we're looking right. at a new, you know, we're rolling out a new, you know, uh, accounting system or, you know, a million of the other things that we're doing, but we're all doing that to support um, the growth. So the growth and the systems and the talent, you know, that are being drawn as a result of that are, are, are being kickstarted because of those, those big projects that we're managing right now. You've mentioned the acronym LOI. Can you just dive in on that a little bit? Because I know that as a letter of, of intent, but I'm curious mm -hmm. what, what you're referring to. Yeah. So yes, and and it is a letter of intent. And basically, um, you know, you, you know, for for people on the call that may not know, um, you know, we we as operators are constantly looking for new avenues to spread our 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 hospitality to other areas. And you you'll have a landlord that has a space, and in order for you to to get deeper into the lease negotiating process, you have to sign a letter of intent, which is a commitment gotcha. based on some some very basic terms such as rent or or um, et cetera. And so in that negotiating process, I think um, it's trying to determine almost like an employee in, in a restaurant if you're a fit, you know, is this going to be the best thing to do at the best time at the best place for everybody involved. Some people might look at it as, oh, it's just a contract. Does the money work out? But, you know, we look at it a little bit deeper to that. Is is this a relationship that's going to be for the greater good guests, employees, you know, owners, et cetera? Well, especially too, when you're building out a new space, because, you know, you, you could, these restaurants, and I was looking at your website as we were chatting and, and uh, they're very beautiful, which means that you're spending a lot of money on them. And so it's not just about, hey, what can I get per square foot? Is it is the traffic there? Is the future development there to, to warrant spending a million or two million dollars to build something out and get it perfect? You know, you, you got to know that the numbers are going to be there in the future or, you know, you're just killing yourself. Yes. And, and I think that the, the human side of it is that the amount of resources that it takes to open a restaurant now, the human side of it, you know, just with the time and, and attention, when you're a smaller group that's growing, you know, and you, you don't have 60 restaurants and you don't have a department for every single yep. question that can come up, you know, it, it's, is, is that investment of, of time and energy of your team going to you know, to, to, to provide a result that justifies it. And that those are the things that we look at, especially when you're a group that is, you know, five to 11 units that's getting ready to grow, that doesn't have the ability to have, you know, eight assistants per corporate officer and a department for everything. And you have to wear a decent amount of hats. And I think that's the beauty of having worked for these huge corporate monsters where literally there is a position for every question, but also working in the mom and pops and learning all of those positions so that you can do them if you need to until you can hire and train somebody to do it and uh it's it's for some people it's it's exciting and fun but you see in our currently um for a lot of people that have come up in only the corporate monsters they they don't have the depth or the ability to do that oh absolutely because they just go real estate's handed by a real estate department you don't have seven <laughs> real estate professionals no we don't we're an eight-person corporate office that's everything yeah. so yeah no we got to figure this out on our own. Yep, absolutely. Um, what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? You know, it's funny because it's actually related to exactly what we're talking about right now. And, um, 
you know, it, it's, the hospitality industry has always followed a very basic flow. And I think that, you know, COVID obviously changed it or either COVID or people's reaction to COVID changed it. And, you know, one thing that, um, that I've, I've seen is, is a great displacement of talent in the industry. And um, a lot of the talent has been um, uh, displaced by groups that are not able or willing to manage the impact of COVID. And a lot of the groups that are smaller, or more malleable, or, or more um, uh, able to navigate this are, are looking for exactly that talent. So it's making this kind of natural kind of transition in, in the industry, which there is some positivity and there are some wins with that. What we are finding is exactly what you just said, is that there are people that have come through their hospitality career and are so used to having every system provided for them that in the absence of some of those systems, they have difficulty operating. I can expo with KDS, but I don't know how to expo with tickets. I can use open table, but I don't know how to run the door with a um, with a pen and paper. I can use hot schedules, but I can't create a spreadsheet on Excel that would do the exact same thing. Um, sure. You know, I can use you know NetChef, but I don't know how to create a declining budget. And you see a lot of that. And you know, it it it's not you know it, it hits on a couple of levels. One, I think, is that the groups have gotten so focused on technology and so stuck on trends that we've gotten farther and farther away from the guest experience. You know, we've gotten farther and farther away from genuine hospitality and the guest experience. And there's more and more things that are coming between um, us and the guests. Um, and there is, I'm gonna say, there's not a right or a wrong way. Because once again, all of these things have worked and groups have done it successfully using a lot of different um, uh, of, of different things. But when the reliance on systems and the reliance on technology gets to a point where the guest comes second, it can come back and bite you because now the guest experience is suffering when people don't have access to all of these tools and all these wonderful things that came with running on all cylinders. And I don't think that COVID is going to be the last disruption to the industry. There is always going to be something that happens. It's gonna be a natural disaster. It's gonna be who knows. And when these things happen, the guests are going to suffer as a result if we're not, if we're not, um, uh, if we're not prepared, so to speak. And I think the way to be prepared is to focus on the guest experience and what's best for the guests at all times, and um, a little bit less on some of these things that are are distracting us from that. Well, I, I would say two things. One, I think it's going to be very interesting because, as you said, a lot. So, I mean, okay. So, there's a lot of restaurant companies out there, and they weren't 
run conservatively enough so they didn't have the proper cash flow. So when this thing hit, and I mean, granted, you have to shut down, you got to shut down. Hopefully you got some PPP, but whatever it is. But now there's this big, like, as you said, there's this big sort of change or a surge in talent being displaced from certain companies and they're getting pushed into other companies or they, they had to release those guys for whatever reason, you know, COVID, whatever. I mean, and obviously certain more of the liberal areas are still very locked down, whereas, you know, Texas is wide open right now, right? But like, you're seeing this push of talent and that's gonna be felt, not right now, not six months from now, but like in a year to two years from now, when you had an amazing executive chef or an amazing manager who you took for granted, right because because when someone's doing great you don't they're not they're not the squeaky wheel you just kind of keep paying them and hope that they're happy and that they don't leave but they've moved on and they're coming let's say they're moving from dc to you or wherever it might be but like in a year or two when we're back up we're all open again we're competing the 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 COVID aftermath is kind of something that's in the rearview mirror if you will that's when this this dearth of talent where you had to release all these really talented people, they're going to be kicking your ass in comp competition with you in 18 months to two years. Um, the other thing that I think when talking about systems and obviously Ops Analytica, the company that I own, we are a, you know, we are an operations management platform. So we help, you know, multi-unit operators like yourselves and, and, and bigger, you know, manage all of these locations. But like we, we really focus on is the pre-shift and the post-shift, right? Like I, when the when we're on and the guests are in the building, I don't want people doing checklists. I want people servicing guests, but I want them to have done the checklist prior to the guests coming in so that they're not running around looking for something that should be there, which is also impacting the guests, right? So yeah, I mean, it is kind of crazy how many apps have exploded in the restaurant space, but definitely I think when you're looking at those things, it is, hey, do we have a backup plan if this goes down? Or, you know, how, what is the philosophy of how do you use this, right? Because when you're in the middle of the shift, you shouldn't be on a tablet unless you're yeah. bringing something up on yeah. a tablet. So right? like, 100%, you touched on two big things. And I'm sorry, on my, on my last point when I was no. talking, <clears throat> I almost had one of those TV moments while my son was trying to break into the room. So I apologize, <laughs> I got a little bit <laughs> no off. Problem. But, but you're, you're absolutely right. Technology is not bad. It's our friend. Yeah. No, you know, nobody is saying, hey, let's go back to, you know, chip and mortar at all. But yeah. it, it's what you touched on. It's the wisdom about the guest experience to know when and when not to use it. They can be used to enhance the guest experience 100%. But when they sure. replace the guest experience is when operators don't have that depth and wisdom and how to use them. And that's when you come up to a restaurant and somebody's at the host stand and you, you come to check in and there's a bunch of open tables and they stare at the tablet for like half an hour trying to figure out yeah. what's going on. And you're like, there's a table over there. And they're like, well, we got so-and-so's going there and there's a reservation at this time. And I'm a little busy at that time. Would you like to come at seven? No, I want to sit yeah. now at, versus, hey, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this the way that it can it can enhance and not replace. And the other point you made that is key, and, and I think that goes all into that displacement of the industry is what you're talking about talent. And this is a really, really big deal right now that I don't think a lot of people have grasped. And that is that these groups that are deciding to quote unquote cut back you know, or, or, or release talent, <clears throat> that talent is leaving and it's not coming back. 
And, and I think a lot of these groups think, hey, when the volume's there, we're coming back. But it's not coming back for two reasons. I think number one is that the way that people are being let go is making them question the groups they were with and making them look for something different in the group they're going to. You know, So that sense of security and that sense of, hey, we're on the same page and all this stuff I've been fed for the last six years, how does that not apply now? Because I just got a letter that says that I'm downsizing that got sent to 80 employees and said the exact same thing. Do I really matter? Do I not matter? You know, And so I think it's, the, the town is one, they're going to groups that are on, on the offensive, and they're going to be part of that, and they're being they're yeah. being part of this this growth, you know, personally and professionally. And I think the second is it calls them to question the intentions of other groups that are out in the market. And and I'm not just theorizing about this. I, I, I'm saying this because I have employees that left groups that are calling them to go back to them that aren't going back to them, even though they're offering them more money. You know, and th sure. that's that's happening. It's happening today. And so when all these big groups are like, hey, great, the governor just lifted the mask mandate, we're gonna do late night again, and we're gonna open up our books and let's go. Uh, how are you gonna go? Because your best people are gone and, and they're not coming back. And that, that disruption in the industry, that's what keeps me up. And it doesn't keep me up because it's gonna affect me, you know, personally, because, you know, me, like a lot of people out there, we're taking calls every day for people that want to come work and, and we're taking them, even if it jacks up our labor or jacks up kind of PL because we're investing in the future. But the, but we don't want other people in the industry to suffer. We don't want people to lose. We're, we're not out to beat other we're We're all in this thing together. And any disruption to the industry overall, I think it's bad for everybody. And that, you're right, in, in a year or two, that's going to be the big deal, I think, that defines our industry. Yeah. Well, and it's always been hard to find talent in this business. And the top guys, you know, the top guys, uh, there's, there's not that many of them. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is, right? So, yep. um, so what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? We're, we're going to talk about the same thing over and over. <laughs> it's all oh, yeah. tied in. It's, it's funny because yeah. it's all tied in. No, it's a great question. But I feel like your questions are really good because they feed off the last question. And, and this is one thing that I, I really thought. I thought that as the industry continued, that they would go towards the guest, not away from it, I think. And, and I know that a lot of people are gonna answer this question with the typical stuff. Oh, I th thought we'd be doing more mobile or, oh, I thought we'd be doing more delivery with drones or et cetera, et cetera. But no, my thing was, I believed we'd be going more guest centric because a lot of the groups that were extremely guest centric um, and did very well got bought by the groups that were not. You know, the, sure. the Barcelonas of the world get scooped up by the Del Frisco of the world. The, the cheesecakes <laughs> of, the, of the world start buy, buying these small fox entities, right? So these are the smaller yeah. boutique groups that are like, dude, we went, you know, we're all about the guest and, you know, it's organic and we don't look at comps and you know take everything yeah. at the door. It's a big party. And these groups that are like run by spreadsheets are like, you come our way because we want some of that. You know, we want some of that net profit that that approach gets. So I thought after a while that people would really be shifting to that. But but I, I don't see that a lot. I see a lot more uh, following and, and a lot more um, relying on trends, you know? So, okay, everybody's doing 
to go, 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 do to go. Okay, great. Um, what's up? Everybody's focused on curbside. That's what, okay, go. It's the new normal. Yeah, we got to do it. You know. Um, okay, what what else? What is what is cool now? Okay, all these reputation management systems. Okay, go get the best one. You know. Okay, okay. Now we need a diversity officer. Go get that. You know. It's like mm -hmm. people people aren't. It doesn't seem like people are doing it because it's the right thing to do. Which all of those things are the right thing to do, but they're doing it because somebody else is doing it, or somebody told them it was okay, or they're worried about how they're going to be looked at if they don't do it. And and I don't believe that people are paying enough attention to the guests as they should. They're paying attention to the news. They're paying attention to reporting. They're paying attention to what their governor is talking about. They're paying attention to whatever it may be, but I feel like it's getting farther away from the guest. And I thought it would be going towards the guest, not away. Well, and you know, the one thing you didn't mention and, and that was private equity. because. You know, private equity is the greatest and the worst, and I think this is true of everywhere private equity goes. It's the greatest and the worst thing to happen to a company because someone comes in and goes, hey, here's $100 million. Do all the crap you should have been doing for the last 10 years because we want to get you set up perfectly to grow. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, now you got to pay the piper because nothing's free. And then all of a sudden now it's like, well, you can't have a sommelier in every restaurant. Just let's just put, this, <laughs> let's just put the wine recommendations on the menu. You know what I mean? And Or it's like what uh, Del Frisco's just got bought up by Landry's, right? So, and I think Tillman Furtado is awesome. I want to meet that guy. I want to have coffee with him because he is great. But he is destroying all these restaurant brands because he's just buying up all these like brands that used to be hot, but then they're not necessarily as hot as they used to be. And he's just putting them all so that you are going to get the same steak in Del Frisco's as you are in Landry's, as you are in 15 other Roost Crit, you know, like the, he's taking away some of the unique distinctions and, uh, and his economies of scale he's trying to reach are just in the order guide, right? If I bring on Landry's or if I bring on Del Frisco's, I can buy X amount more millions of pounds of beef in a year which will bring the food cost on my beef down another two pennies per pound across all my locations. So, that, I mean, that's what he's doing, right? We get it. Yeah. But like, yeah, and then you go and you're like, ah, this isn't the Del Frisco steak I remember, you know? So I think private equity is another thing that's, that's really shaping the restaurant. And what's interesting too, is there's a lot of guys that were execs in the industry and they're just getting a private equity. Like they're hooking up with some private equity dudes and they're like, Go buy everything that's got EBITDA. We don't care. Just buy it. We're we're gonna put it together. You know what I mean? And that's uh, that's that's happening. And it, and it's not only yeah, happening yeah. with companies. It's happening with real estate. And listen, I you know I like the way you talk about it because you know you're putting in that disclaimer. It's like it's not that there's anything wrong. You know th these people did amazing things. And you know I worked with Barcelona, and that's that's a prime example of exactly what, just fantastic company. Yeah. And you know some of the most talented people that I've ever worked with in my life. And the, even the private equity firms were were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You know, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, you, you get invested, and then you get sold to Del Frisco's, and then Del Frisco sells you to El Keratin, and then they spin it off. And and it, it, it turns this game of telephone. It can't be like it was before. It can't be me and my director of operations working the door on Valentine's Day, 
in in Atlanta, and that's true. That that's that. This is what happened. You know, it couldn't be. You know, no no huge organization is going to work like that. They're not going to have their area director yeah. and a general manager working the door. They're going to have a hostess or a host that's playing with a tablet. You know, so yeah. that experience is going to be different. You know, our chefs going to Spain, you know, four times a year for a week, you know, and, and flying back and just, you know, having that creative freedom to to do a dish, not because of how it's costed, you know, not because of, you know, how easy it can be duplicated, but because they had a passion for it because they ate it, you know, when they were in Madrid on a street corner. Well, I don't think that fits into the the, the big picture of a lot of, of of organizations, and so the the these 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 elements of the restaurants get diluted. But on the flip side of it, I mean, it's almost like anything, whether it's a musical artist or an artist, it will be taken to the masses, and people will make yeah. tons of money, including those people that got the brand to even be able to do that. And and so yeah. that that it's making a lot of people successful. It works. It is a different experience, you know, and, and yep. whether or not, you know, you believe in that experience, it, that's the great thing is you can work wherever you want, you know, <laughs> and, yeah, and, exactly. and you can, you can make a decision. But, but I think that those, those things that are happening are being amplified right now. And it, it will make a huge difference in, in the restaurant landscape uh, in the future. And what's wonderful, though, and that's what's great about the restaurant industry, right, is that there will always be a guy or a girl that just has a passion for doing this thing really awesome. And they will have, like you, you were at, I mean, Cheesecake. I mean, that was the gaudiest, craziest, $15 million a year. It takes a month to become a server there because you got to learn that entire 40-page menu. You know, that all that stuff, like you went through that machine, but now you're at this four or five unit machine, right? There's yep. always going to be a chef. And a lot of times too, there's going to be a chef that came from that $15 million restaurant. And now they're going to open up literally like a seven table deal and <laughs> a, and a strip center. And it's going to be amazeballs. So that's, what's kind of that we're lucky because there will always be that group of people that go, Nope, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't be, you know, this or that or whatever. But yeah, it is, it's very interesting. I mean, and what, like you said too, and I think it's very important, private equity is not bad. It's yeah. just different. And you need to understand that nothing's free and that these guys are, if they scoop you up, you know, I'll give you a perfect example, snooze. Have you ever been to a snooze? Oh, I haven't, you know, it's funny because I haven't been to them, but they keep falling in my lap just because of their growth. I mean, they're in Denver, yeah. right? They, they came to yeah, Atlanta where I was. I've, I've talked to them a couple of times and talked to people that are talking with them. So you, 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 these the groups that are on this massive growth wind up, you know, getting involved in your conversations daily as a yeah. result. So, but go ahead. But so the snooze guy, there's a quick anecdote and then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. But like the snooze guy's here in Denver and he opened up this breakfast place and the cornerstone of this breakfast place was just the best ingredients. New skis bacon, you know, like they were using red potatoes for their hash browns, fresh cracked eggs, even if you're getting scrambled, you know, it was just like delicious. And so they had like seven or eight locations around town and they were all over the place. And I mean, you couldn't get in, like you'd go by. And I mean, Monday after, Monday morning at 11, and there was like a, an hour wait at every snooze and there was people outside the door. And so you're like, wow, what a great restaurant. And then he wanted to sell or grow. And so they said, okay, go to LA and open one. And if it does as well as you did in Denver, 
then we'll buy you. So he went to LA, he opened one. It was exactly the same. It went crazy. They bought them. And, I, and I'm, I'm getting this not from my own experience. I mean, my own experience, I've seen this kind of downgrade. But I was talking to one of their managers who had been there from the beginning. And then, you know, as soon as the private equity guys bought them, the, well, we got to, like, we've made an investment. We've got to, like, recoup some of this investment. Well, let's start tweaking the, uh, the menu guide, right? Like, let's start, do you really need a 70-cent egg? Could we do a 55-cent egg, <laughs> you know? But, like, you start managing down the menu to, to get, uh, you know, an increase in profitability and uh, it always comes at the expense of taste or your tummy doesn't feel good when you leave or whatever it is. Right. So, I mean, that's, but that's what private equity is going to do. And it's not wrong. It's exactly what they're supposed yeah. to do. But as an owner operator, you have to determine, you know, cause you can't fight those guys that yeah. it's like, you know, you sign that piece of paper and they write that check. It ain't your place anymore. You, they'll tell you all day long in the sales process, just like a car salesman. Hey, man, we're not going to mess with your menu. It's totally cool. Wow, everything, yeah, ingredient quality is exactly what we care about too. But then it, it, that's to the point of, hey, we need to make it recoup an investment on this 200 million we just gave you. So we can we can pull that right out of the 45 cent egg. That's not as tasty. So, uh, anyway. And the first thing that, the first thing that goes uh, generally is, is the talent and, and you know where it's yeah. coming from. I, I remember this very specifically because I was at Barcelona when they were still very, very organic, you know, and it, it was still yeah. had that vibe and we were getting everybody from seasons 52 because when seasons 52 oh, yeah. started, <laughs> they were like, everything is from scratch, you know, no freezers. Yeah. We're printing the menus every day. And now the menus are laminated or whatever it is. And, yeah. and they were coming looking for that. And now Barcelona moves on and their people go. So it's this, it's this cycle, but, but you see yeah. it and, and, and you see it in, in, in all, all of these. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And like I said, it's, it's going to be amplified now because it's going to be a buy fest out there for companies and for, yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for products. And I think that's though that knowledge that we have about the industry and people that we care about, that knowledge is really affecting where people decide to go, which is very sure. much the reason why I'm in Houston you know, working the door on a Saturday night with my GMs um, when, you know, a year ago I was sitting in an office, you know, with like 80 million, you know, corporate employees. There's a real reason behind why we do these decisions. We have the option to do whatever we want. Don't let people tell you that there's not options out there. There are, but you're making the decision based off things that maybe a year or two ago you 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 weren't you know and hopefully people have enough experience in the industry and enough wisdom to be able to write make that right decision so to speak yeah absolutely <clears throat> okay alex we're on question number five man give me a war story give me something funny uh, uh, that was horrible uh, uh, that you know you look back and you shiver or you just thought was hilarious <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna give you one. I'm gonna give you two. One's gonna be kind of light, and the other's gonna be scary. So, I, I remember I was working at Barcelona, and I had a guest on the way out that just destroyed me. You know, and they they grabbed me and they were cussing me up and down, and they were pissed off because we served this wine, Chacali, which is from the Basque region in the north of Spain. And you know, it's got a, it's got a little bit of fizz to it and you pour it, generally we pour it, you gotta pour it high to kind of accentuate the effervescence or whatever. And you pour it out of a pour spout. And, and this person had never seen it before. And, and, and they just went crazy on me. They're like, you guys don't know anything about wine. You're pouring wine with pour spouts from liquor bottles, you know? 
like you guys call yourself a wine bar you're out of your mind you know i'll never come here again you guys suck you know who pours <laughs> who pours wine like liquor i mean really like f you blah 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 and you know it's funny the reason I, that i bring this up isn't so much i'll, I'll give you a good war story after this one it, it, it isn't so much about you know the that because we all get yelled at by guests but it's kind of how how we dealt with it and i, I think a lot of people would have told the guy, hey, what's wrong with you? You know, I was in Spain six months ago. Like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're uneducated, you're unsophisticated. Like, this is what we do. You know, this is how we do it. But where would that get you? You know, the, the guest is upset. Who who cares why they're upset? It, it might be the guy had a fight with his husband or wife. It might be that, you know, their 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 kid failed in school. It might be that he got, you know, fell down outside. He got in a car. Who knows? I think that the the key is that he's unhappy. And, and and he's leaving the restaurant and happy, whatever it may be. He might be mad at the music. Who knows? Who cares? You know, and and so all it was was an apology. I, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that you hate our wine. I'm sorry you hate me. I will buy your wine. I'll buy your dinner. You know, we'll try to do better next time. You know, and the reason I remember that one is because it stuck with me in recovery in restaurants, which I don't think there's enough of a focus on true recovery. And that's that. You know, we're always trying to give people the lines to the stories to explain to them why they shouldn't be pissed off. If they're pissed sure. off, they're pissed off. I mean, it would be like if our loved one came to our house for dinner and got stuck outside in the rain because we forgot. We wouldn't be like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, on behalf of me, I would like to apologize that you waited. You'd be like, I'm so sorry. You know, it would be genuine. And so that one stuck with me. Okay, war story. So um, I worked for quite a long time in, in, in DC, um, as we, we talked about. And I worked in Georgetown for a large um, portion of that time. You know, I, I actually had an office in Georgetown for, for some time. And DC is beautiful, it's wonderful, people love it, it's gorgeous, architecture is gorgeous, but it does have its challenges. And <laughs> one, of its, one of its challenges happened to be rodents. So rodents are a part of DC, and um, they are, are like cats in Rome, they're just there. And in, in Georgetown, for people that were there many years ago, there used to be a, an old mill that was where the Ritz-Carlton is now, and they dug it up, and they built the Ritz-Carlton. And when they did that, they disrupted the home of millions of rats, and they, they basically <laughs> took over Georgetown. So we, we who had dealt with rats for a while there, you, you have to really change the way you think. I mean, it sounds stupid, but you have to like think like a rat. You have to you have to embrace the fact that these things are there and they, they're not scared of you, they don't care, they're, they're aggressive and, and you have to think differently about how you address them, you know? And I was working in a restaurant close to the waterfront and, you know, I'm not gonna say names, I don't want people to get scared, but, you know, we'd get the rat that would run in there every once in a while and the people from out of town wouldn't know what they were. They'd be like, it was a beautiful restaurant, a tree and you know, this out outdoor courtyard and they, oh, there's a squirrel in the tree. I know we get a lot of squirrels, they're rats, you know, but the rats aren't scared of humans. So, uh, you know, they had the glue boards and they had this and they had that. And, you know, uh, me being, you know, the rat whisperer, I said, hey, this, this is not good. You know, these things aren't going to stop the rats. We have to think differently. So one of the managers had this idea and they, they glued a glue board to the ground, you know, because the rats would get stuck in a glue board and they wouldn't care. They just run away. You know, they'd take the glue board with them. The, these guys were, <laughs> they, they were intense. 
And so they had this idea. They said, we'll glue the glue board to the ground so the rat can't get away. Okay. So this really happened. During service, a rat got stuck on a glue board, right? In the dining room, big fat rat. So he's stuck on the glue board, he's freaking out, stage one, right? So people in the <laughs> dining, people in the dining room start freaking out. Ah, you know, the, the rat, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I come running. This rat, this is a true, <laughs> this is a true story. And I know it's a little graphic for radio. No, the, no. Gra the, the rat almost got free, except for its bat back leg. And mm -hmm. the rat bit its back leg off. Oh my God. Yeah, it's this is true. And walked across the dining room slowly with a trail Bleeding. of blood following <laughs> it across the dining room. And I mean, it did not care in the least bit. It was fine with his leg, it was hobbling, it just walks right through the dining room. One woman threw up. She threw up on our table. Yeah, like literally like on our table. And I mean, I've never seen like uh, a, a state of disbelief of, it was, it was horrifying, you know? And there are some things where you can find ways around them, you can, you can try, but there was no escaping that there was a bloody rat in the middle of the dining room. <laughs> So um, the majority of the thing yes. that made it the yes. thing that made it suck so bad is generally you just get people to run up and, and leave. But I think people were in such shock, you know, that people wanted to watch it. Luckily, this was before the whole, you know, cell phone cameras. Yes, cell phone, social media. I mean, nowadays, oh my goodness, we'd be on TikTok, we'd be on Twitter. We'd be having to apologize to the rat that we heard it. I mean, it would be a disaster. You'd have everybody, but this is before that time. And so there was a really challenging one for me. You know, we had the woman that threw up. We had some people that left, some people were staying there. And we had another area that was a bar, you know, and I, I tried my best to, you know, make some light of the situation. You know, I said, I, you know, obviously I'm horrified. I said, anybody who wants to get to the bar right now will address this. You don't have to look at it. We will buy you drinks until we address this and I'll be back to address it with you, you know, there. And so we had one manager at the door who basically anybody that tried to leave, they were addressing and just apologizing. Here's our business card. We're so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And then we had a manager in the bar basically dealing with the guests that were going there. And it, it actually wound up working fairly well because the people that wanted to go drink, they were kind of like, yeah. oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> a dying rat, you know? And, and yeah. the people that were like, they're not sure, they had a couple of drinks and they relaxed. And so everybody yeah. that went to the bar, we were fairly able to recover. And then we had to bring in and bleach and disinfect and, you know, do all that. And, and before we could get the dining room open, but some people actually finished their meals and, 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 and went on. Um, and I think the thing is, is that in restaurants, you can plan, you can do anything. I mean, we were not a dirty restaurant. We were clean, you know, health department, everything, but every once in a while, something is going to happen that you 100% can't control. And sometimes it is going to be horrible and there's not going to be a rule book. There's not going to be an SOP for it. You're not going to be able to call somebody. You just have to deal with it, you know? And, and the, the rat story is the one that, that sticks in my head. That is a great story. Okay, a <clears throat> couple quick follow-up questions. One, do you think it came through the front door? No. So the thing with the rats is that um, in DC, they can uh, crawl up yeah. walls. 
You know, they're they're oh, very yeah. they're very much like a cat. And so, um, unless your building is one hundred percent sealed, you you cannot keep them out. And in this particular case, um, we had a outdoor courtyard that was kind of part oh, yeah. of a restaurant with a retractable roof and then another outside courtyard that was directly exposed so this guy got in the one with the retractable roof and so mm -hmm. they, they can crawl up any wall so most likely yeah. had come up from that construction zone up a wall uh maybe fallen in or, or come in couldn't get maybe couldn't get out and ran onto the glue board and then decided to to go to go nuts so um, and and I believe in in the later years, I mean, there was task forces in Georgetown to to deal with this. I mean, they had meetings. Um, this was something that wasn't unique to our restaurant. It was something that every restaurant in Georgetown, from Michelin to Star to every, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't want to name names because I don't want people to come after me. But there were retail stores, you know, that had rats chewing through the clothes because of the perfume and the clothing. It was we were taken over. It, it was definitely yeah. that that year. It was the rats' year. It wasn't our year, and, and in a lot of cases, <laughs> in a lot of cases, the rats won. Oh, that's great. Well, Alex, is there anything you want to plug? I'll put your uh, I'll put the website for your guys's company out on the show notes. But is there anything you want to plug? Are you hiring? Do you no, I mean we're 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 you know for for people out there, you know, honestly, um, you know that that have had troubles, you know, based on, 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 on this COVID madness or, you know, we're always, our door is always open, you know, whether you're a vendor, whether you're a, a farmer, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're an employee, you know, whether or not you want to work for us or not. I, I think that that's kind of how we look at this. And so I don't, I don't know that, you know, necessarily, you know, I need to plug, Hey, come Thursday nights here. Yeah. You know, just yeah. we're here. We're here. People, if people, um, if people need us, but, um, no, I, I, this was a great, you know, I, I love restaurants. I love talking to people in restaurants. You were great to talk to. I very natural. This would be a conversation we'd be having over coffee in a restaurant one day. So it's always, um, cool to get on. And, uh, I think those, those questions really help define, you know, somebody's perspective of the hospitality industry. So, um, well, it was, a, it was, a, I enjoyed it. Oh, well, thank you so much, Alex. And thank you for being a guest on the show today. And to all the order up pod show podcast show listeners, thank you guys for supporting us. And uh, we really appreciate it. And that is a wrap on this episode. So take care, Alex, and we'll be talking to you soon. Excellent. Thank you. Bye-bye.